You're listening to the Transforming Chaplaincy Podcast. I'm Michael Skaggs, Communications Director for Transforming Chaplaincy. My guest today is the Reverend Paul Gauchet, who is an ordained minister of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America and a fellow of the Transforming Chaplaincy Project. After serving in a congregation for seven years, he transitioned into a CPE residency in a suburban hospital in Metro Chicago. From there, Paul went to Milwaukee, where he began his first staff chaplaincy position in a Catholic healthcare system. There, he also took on the bereavement and critical incident stress management coordinator roles. After three years in Milwaukee, he began a combined palliative and staff chaplain position at the University of Minnesota Medical Center. After 10 years in these roles, he became a part-time chaplain in ambulatory care while becoming a full-time student again, pursuing a Master of Public Health at the University of Minnesota. Paul has been married nearly 26 years and has one child in college and the other in high school. When he's not learning biostats, Paul loves to escape into nine innings with his beloved Minnesota Twins. Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We really appreciate your time, and I'm looking forward to hearing a little bit more uh, about you. Of course, we know each other a little bit from Transforming Chaplaincy, but I don't know uh, kind of the ins and outs of your story. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself here to, to kick off. Uh, where are you from and whether you've always had an interest in chaplaincy or if this is kind of a turn for you or how did you end up doing what you're doing now? Yeah, thank you, Michael. Appreciate the opportunity to be able to join you for this and to have a little bit of an opportunity to tell my story a little bit as well as to get to talk about uh, the work I love in chaplaincy and how that's ventured a little bit into research. But where I came from, I'm I'm just a kid from the upper Midwest. I grew up in the suburbs of the Minneapolis area and would now define myself to be a white person of privilege and didn't have anything to really worry about growing up. Had food, education, security, um, so the things I guess I would now label with disparities. I didn't really have any of those. And so I'm pretty grateful for having had that in a loving family. So I remember kind of uh, growing up, um, my mom worked part-time mostly on the evenings and weekends. So during the day, this was still in an era where I think there were still some, I'll say moms that stayed at home. And I think my mom was my first teacher of um, chaplaincy. She would have these coffee, I guess some people call them coffee clutches, but I think kind of peering around the corner and listening to my mom talk to her neighborhood friends um, or people she'd have over. That was sort of the first opportunity for me to what it meant to be a listener, a conversationalist in a more kind of sincere way. I've always been, uh, when I used to go to church as a kid, I'd be the one who would have a hard time leaving church because I used to love hanging out with people and being in conversation with them. So I don't know, this, um, the other thing I'd say is growing up, the kind of the sacred scriptures, um, I'm a, a Christian Lutheran pastor. So out of the Christian scriptures, I guess what we call the New Testament, the pieces that resonated with me were the ones that would talk about it's um, kind of our duty, I guess, using some language from Kierkegaard, our duty to love and to do for the other, um, loving the neighbor meant that it would mean some sort of suffering or sacrifice on my part. Um, Compassion had some kind of doing aspect related to it. So. That's kind of, I guess, where I'm from and what initially motivated me to, as I now, I guess, now work in chaplaincy. Now, that is sort of the, the sort of the, the deep history 
of your interest in chaplaincy, but what are the bits and pieces, the mechanics of how you ended up doing the work that you're doing now? Like many people who went to a Protestant Christian seminary, I was required to complete something that was foreign to me at the time called clinical pastoral education. And that was way back in 1993, 94, when I completed my first unit or my internship of that. So while I appreciated going to classes, this was my first opportunity to kind of roll up my sleeves, I think, and get my hands dirty, so to speak, and do the work. And I couldn't wait to get to do it. I was in a healthcare setting in a larger hospital in the Twin Cities area. And I, I kind of fell in love with the work of meaning of being able to be with people who were in the midst of pretty significant disruption, interruption to their lives. And what I guess I would now label the work of how it is that we as chaplains get to be a part of how people make sense of or reconfigure their lives forward from that moment. Um, and I find that that to be a pretty healing experience for people. Um, I think people who get to do an internship like this or get to do chaplaincy as a career, they, they have those uh, moments where people look at us with some suspect looks when we introduce ourselves as chaplains, oftentimes not knowing what it means. And uh, I think one of my favorite compliments, I don't know, call it a compliment, but somebody perhaps speaking out loud was that um, something like they, they were glad they didn't throw me out when we first initially started talking. Well, I think that speaks to uh, how unique chaplaincy is when I'm glad I didn't throw you out as a compliment that you receive in the course of your work. <laughs> uh, chaplaincy must be a pretty special field. What um, yeah. drew you specifically, uh, or rather I should say, what drew you to the specific type of, of work that you're in now? Of course, all of transforming chaplaincy has to do with healthcare chaplaincy, but how did you end up doing the exact work that you do now? So the actual work I do now is related to the work I did 10 years prior to evolving into becoming a fellow within the Transforming Chaplaincy program. I now serve in the ambulatory or the outpatient arena. And I'd say the majority of what I get to do is working with people who are in the advanced care treatment trajectory, which is not relatively new for healthcare chaplaincy. So a lot of what I do is seeing people while they're getting their infusion. So people who have these four, six hour appointments and are hooked up to an IV and are in these little pods. And so it offers an opportunity to often engage people in conversation. A part of that in the organization I work with, there was an envisioned opportunity to have an expanded opportunity in the ambulatory care setting. And I think a nice model this comes from the UK, where there's a researcher, I think his name is Peter Kevin, and they do something called Chaplain Care for Wellbeing. And I think through their mixed method research, they found that they were able to add chaplaincy. And it's therapy-like, but not being therapists as chaplains, it gives me a chance to meet people from other, not just cancer, but I can meet somebody in a, who's having a cardiology um, illness experience or uh, liver or kidney or in primary care. So it's an opportunity for me to uh, have appointments with people who want to talk with a chaplain and integrate a more specialized spirituality or religion aspect to how it is that they get support and treatment. 
And um, I should also add the palliative care piece. I was able to work in inpatient palliative care for 10 years on a team at the University of Minnesota Medical Center and um, love doing that. Um, I love working in palliative care and I miss it because I think the people drawn to it, whether a physician or an advanced practice nurse or clinical social worker, they're people who are drawn to the story. Um, they don't want the 15-minute appointments. They're, they want to be able to engage people in a more comprehensive multi-dimensional who are you and how is this for you going through this experience opportunity so it sounds like there is a a degree of diversity in your own background as a chaplain and as part of transforming chaplaincy we have tried to draw in as many people from around the world in fact as we could to understand how chaplaincy unfolds all over the all over the globe so could you speculate a little bit on how chaplaincy is different for you from how it might be for others, whether that's in the United States or from what you know from the international context, what makes the chaplaincy that you do different? And what does that say about chaplaincy as a field? If there are differences from place to place, what is common and what is really unique to each individual place? One way I'll respond to it is the two places where I have worked within chaplaincy. I first began my first job um, after my chaplain residency in the Milwaukee area, working in the midst of Catholic healthcare, where I served as an inpatient healthcare chaplain and was also the bereavement coordinator for the healthcare system. And I was centered, or I was housed in a community-based hospital on the south side of Milwaukee. And it was a great place because it was a community-based hospital. And I, I knew the president by the first name, knew many of the staff, and it was kind of a small town. In some ways, I, I miss that environment. For the last, you know, 10, 11 years, I have been in this academic tertiary, you know, care system, whether it's got multi-specialties and it's this highly advanced, uh, really cool opportunity to see all these advances and uh, people getting these NIH grants. So there's education everywhere. You can always attend something like a mortality, morbidity rounds, and that has an infectious opportunity with it as well. And I think that being in that setting has, is what sort of kind of prompted me to be moving towards and getting the, uh, the gift of being a part of transforming chaplaincy. But what you're also speaking to being in this uh, tertiary care setting, I think the population in Minnesota where I work is relatively homogenous. There are, is a, there's a, a, a beautiful diversity in the learning from uh, people who are the patients is endless. Not that I want to put them on the spot to be my teachers, but um, who I am, who they are, and the gap that's between us sometimes, uh, thankfully, uh, can be bridged, but it oftentimes takes a few more steps uh, for people with whom I don't share a racial, ethnic, or religious background. Clearly, you have put a great deal of uh, reflection into your practice as a chaplain, but how did you get started in research, uh, the research side of chaplaincy? I'm, I'm laughing because when I was in Milwaukee, uh, as a bereavement coordinator, I'd meet once every three months with other bereavement coordinators in the area. And there were some nurses in the group, I think a therapist and uh, a chaplain or two, and somebody had the idea of... Uh, kind of starting to read a journal article when we met. And I, I didn't even know what peer-reviewed literature was. I didn't even know how to get access to a medical library through my healthcare system. So it was sort of like magic when you could start pulling up these PDFs and 
start to read all the hard work that people were doing related to research and how it might have applications to chaplaincy work and certainly the interdisciplinary work that we got to do together. But my biggest challenge and what I'm so grateful for now is I didn't know what it all meant and I'm still trying to figure that out, but it's, I'm, a, I'm a whole lot further along the trajectory now than I was um, you know, 10, 11, 12 years ago. One of the things that I, I really enjoy hearing from chaplains is, you know, they have so much work with patients. That's, you know, the, the meat of their work. But then they're also engaged in these really interesting research projects themselves. They're also keeping up with the literature. How do you strike a balance between keeping up with the literature uh, and conducting your own research and your work with patients? Obviously, you want the latest in research to inform the work that you do with patients. But at the same time, you can't inflict upon them, you know, a changing methodology every other week. So how do you strike that balance? Yeah, again, I'm, I'm chuckling because uh, it is a balance. And it's fun to be surrounded with people who also are curious, who are wanting to, you know, quote, be the best, um, end quote, in what they do and strive for excellence. Not for excellence sake, but for the people and the families that we get to care for, I guess that, you know, they, they deserve the best. I don't know. I think it's um, back, back in my pastor days in a church, I remember there was an author um, and he was a bestseller for a while who had this, wrote a couple of books using the title Purpose Driven. And I guess kind of borrowing from that, I think as much as chaplains can be purpose driven in what we do. So for example, the spiritual assessment that um, I get to use in my setting. I want to be able to tie each component of that back to the literature and the data. And as you said, it's always changing. So how can I augment and, and enhance and say, you know, this wasn't working before and this is, I should be doing it more like this because the evidence clearly says this is better. And that's what's exciting is being able to talk about evidence and uh, I'm, I'm somebody who's compelled, and many chaplains are as well, to this whole thing of story and narrative. And it's not just a chaplaincy thing, but I think chaplaincy is, you can't do it without that. So the folks like Rita Sharon, um, the whole narrative medicine move, movement out of Columbia University, or guys like Arthur Frank, people have been writing about how that's a part of uh, the uh, this whole realm of healthcare, and it's unavoidable. Uh, uh, I don't know, this whole sense of, uh, there's, a, there's a Journal of American Medical Association that uses a title. It's a perspective article, and I think it's that title is Narrative as Medicine, or Narrative as Evidence and Evidence as Narrative. And I think it's the, that's the, what chaplains do is they straddle this whole world between, I want to be, quote, present with people, end quote, and I, but I, the, where we need to move is more into this realm of what is evidence-based and how is it that we do our work from a clinical perspective, and um, that's where I think we got to go. You mentioned that you kind of uh, stumbled into, into research. And so that leads me to this question of how can somebody who has no background in research whatsoever, but who learns about it and wants to know a little bit more, how can they get started into this thing that is actually very, very new uh, to a chaplain who has not done research before? How do they jump into that world? Well, I hope they, uh, I mean, do a few things. I hope they start going to presentations where they are able to hear people 
cite the research. So in, especially in their own healthcare settings, that they attend the grand rounds or that they attend, um, I don't know, and, and they pay attention to the references or citation section and they want to know why that person, like who are they reading and what, why is that important or even pulling that person aside or finding a mentor. And uh, if, I mean, chaplains are forever needing to communicate who we are, what we do, and if they're not invited to do that, I think they need to offer that. So when we create these, for example, PowerPoint presentations, I think they need to be sound, that our references need to be not just our favorite books that we read in seminary, which are nice and are important, but I don't think, to put it crassly, that most people really care. They want to know what the evidence is. They want to know how it is that this makes a difference for the people that are being cared for. And um, and then over the years, that's where I've begun to gravitate as well. So while I still love my favorite philosophy books or my favorite faith-based or religious-based authors, I think um, I know we have to keep moving much more toward the clinical literature and how it is that we um, do that together. So I think the more that a person begins to understand, not just reading the background section or the implications discussion section of a research article, but being interested in what the methods are and the results are. And, and um, I think it was George Fitchetoff and said, getting into the weeds. Chaplaincy research is a relatively new field, both in terms of, of chaplaincy as a profession across sectors, and then especially in healthcare chaplaincy, when we think about how things like sociology and psychology have been stud- studied within that context, chaplaincy is a very new field. With that in mind, speculate a little bit on some of the greatest opportunities and the biggest challenges to chaplaincy research as well as chaplaincy practice you know, within the next couple of years, the next generation. Where is the field going? Yeah, I thank you for the question. I'll start with sociology. You know, one of the co-directors of the Transforming Chaplaincy Program is, of course, Wendy Cadge and her research and the people that she's mentored uh, and still mentors now over the years. That's refreshing as a non-chaplain how it is that she's been interested in kind of who we are as chaplains and what we do and quote you know what we don't do or what we need to be able to figure out how we explain that to others so it's refreshing to hear her research through a lens of somebody who's not been through a clinical pastoral education unit and and doesn't (laughs) perhaps want to so that coupled with somebody like a George Fitchett and I'm having had a class with George this past fall, and I, I'm sure he doesn't just mention it in the class, but I, he's got these, I think what he calls the four questions that need to be burning for chaplaincy. And one of them for me is the sense that we need to do a better job of how we screen, or not so much how a chaplain screen, but how our interdisciplinary partners, whether in the outpatient or certainly the inpatient setting, whether it be the bedside nurse or the hospitalist that is um, caring for a patient, how they can better determine where chaplains need to be based upon the greatest need so that uh, chaplains are, with our limited FTE in in any kind of setting, that we're going to where we're needed most. Uh, So I think that's important. Um, Something that I I found myself saying the last uh, one to two years is I think chaplains need to move much more toward and I might get in trouble for saying this with colleagues, but moving away from what a lot of people would call ministry and being able to talk about chaplaincy care from a, from a clinical perspective. And I think there's perhaps a continuum between 
chaplains who will forever talk about our work as being present with people and that can't go away. That's sort of the breath of chaplaincy. But I don't know if we're ever going to be licensed or we're going to have a proprietary sense of this is what chaplains do and we're the only ones who do this in the healthcare arena. But that's, that I think it's the tension where we perhaps um, need to move toward. And then I think the other thing I would, I would add is there's limited research on the interventions that chaplains do, or what I would call what our core intervention is, which for me is reflective conversation and how people get healing from just doing that. But more and more if chaplains are able to create interventions that if they're not unique to us, but that we can do because of our availability to perhaps spend a little bit longer time with the patient, whereas, of course, the bedside nurse, he or she can't just given all their duties that they are a part of. But the more that we can see that in the literature and, and create the evidence base for that, I, I know that the, the more that that's going to help us to grow as a profession. I'm very glad to hear that you say uh, you welcome the perspective of a non-chaplain on the Transforming Chaplaincy Project. You mentioned uh, Wendy Cadge at the beginning, who is a sociologist. And of course, I'm not a chaplain either. <laughs> uh, I am yeah. trained as a historian. So I am very glad to hear that, uh, that we non-chaplains are welcome as part of this. Of course, I, I, I'm a historian of, of religion, and so I am connected to this in some tangential way. But it has been very fascinating to come at this as a total outsider and to see chaplaincy uh, unfolding right now in real time. It's just a, uh, it's a fascinating process, and uh, I'm very happy to be part of it. And the Transforming Chaplaincy has had such uh, an important impact on healthcare chaplaincy and its, uh, its development into the future. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Paul. You've given us a great deal to think about, and uh, we very much look forward to your work into the future uh, as a chaplain. Of course, you are one of the fellows of the Transforming Chaplaincy program, and so we know that you're going to do uh, great things for chaplaincy. Thanks, Michael. That was the Reverend Paul Gauchet, who is an ambulatory care chaplain and a transforming chaplaincy fellow studying biostatistics at the University of Minnesota. We're grateful to Paul for his time and insight today. Transforming Chaplaincy is supported by the John Templeton Foundation and promotes research literacy for improved patient outcomes. For more information, visit us online at transformchaplaincy.org Find us on Twitter at TransformChap1 or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TransformingChaplaincy. We invite all of our listeners to check out the Spiritual Care Podcast with Humankind host David Freudberg. You'll hear stories of caregivers providing spiritual support for people in need and often in distress. These caregivers offer a sympathetic, non-judgmental ear to people encountering times of challenge, unease, and sometimes loss of meaning. The podcast explores the skills they bring to the profound act of listening. Find the Spiritual Care Podcast on iTunes or another podcatcher and learn more at thespiritualcarepodcast.org.